Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use the tools that are out there to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today we're going to have a great time talking with my guest because he is an expert in truly making things like customer service important, you know, making your employees happy, all of those various things. And it doesn't matter if you are a one person shop or if you have hundreds of employees, I promise you the tips that he is going to share are just going to be absolutely fabulous and you will want to implement them as soon as possible. So please join me in welcoming Ken Bader to the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Deb. Great. Well, you know, before we get started, let me tell people just a little bit about you. So Ken is the founder of Bader Training and Consulting, Inc. He has more than 15 years of experience in helping organizations create environments where employees actually want to come to work and customers want to keep coming back. As a facilitator for training and strategic planning sessions and an expert in brand concept, culture building and management, Ken has helped hundreds of organizations since 2001. In addition to his career of working with managers and entrepreneurs, he has also served as an executive of three different institutions throughout the United States and has assisted many small to medium-sized businesses reach new levels of effectiveness. Ken is also the author of The Formula for Business Success equals B plus C plus S, The Pocket Guide to, St to Strategic Planning, The 90-Day Quick Fix for the Business Owner or Manager, and the Strategic Planning Workbook and Guide for Financial Institutions. His articles have appeared in many trade publications, including the Credit Union Journal, Lifestyle Entrepreneur, CU Business Magazine, and ABA Bank Marketing. Born and raised in Chicago, Ken earned a Bachelor of Science in Finance and an MBA in Entrepreneurship from DePaul University, as well as a Certificate in Integrated Marketing from the University of Chicago. Whew! See, I told folks that you knew what you were talking about. This is going to be so much fun. That almost makes me sound smart. I want to talk to that guy. I know, I know. You know, we start tossing around all this information, and we do. We're like, ooh, nice person. Um, but, but it really does show that you are an expert in this. So let's just jump right in, because we are wanting to talk about your book, which is called The Formula for Business Success Equals B Plus C Plus S. And actually, that B Plus C Plus S formula is what you carry throughout everything that you do. So we're going to start with saying what those letters mean and then really delve into each one. So what is B and C and S? Exactly. Well, what those, what those are, are brand, culture, and strategy. And, and what I help businesses do is align that very brand, culture, and strategy. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, because that sounds complicated, right. <laughs> but but in other words, what, what I tell people that makes it uh, a little bit easier is that it answers the questions of what is the image we want to portray in the public? What is the experience we want to create both for mm -hmm. and through our employees? And how do we drive more of the right business to our business? Okay. 
that when I say that, people begin to understand that brand culture strategy. It's like, oh, all right. Now, now all of a sudden it's starting to click in my head. <laughs> right, right. Well, and it is, it's not complicated. And in a lot of ways, it's common sense. But until we really start strategically thinking about it, it, you know, it, so many businesses miss it. So let's let's kind of start at the top and really talk about brand because it's not just your logo. It's not what your website looks like or your colors. I always love that. People say, and what are your corporate colors? Um, you know, and, and it's not your tagline. You know, it's not just do it. It's not, you know, all of those. The, those are parts of your brand. But tell us really what you mean when you talk about a company's brand. Well, I'll get to that in one second, but you hit one thing right on the money, Dub, which is a lot of this is common sense. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times I use the a line that Dr. Stephen Covey both had in his books and in a lot of his seminars is that common sense isn't always common practice. Mm -hmm. and, and the whole point, the whole point of B plus C plus S is to give people a, a framework from which to work from mm -hmm. so to to go back to your your last question which is well, what is a brand well mm -hmm. a brand is in essence all of the experiences we have with a particular institution okay. so sure that tagline and that logo is part of a brand because you see it you hear it you read it but you know what is also part of it is that that phone conversation that you might have with with a customer service rep it's walking through the door and getting greeted right away. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 somebody actually delivering your product on time right. <laughs> that 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 you asked for. Mm -hmm. It's all it's all those little things, including which is very popular now. The the advice from other people, whether mm -hmm. it's a stranger on Yelp uh, or somebody that's uh, been a longtime friend saying, you know, you really really need to to trust this guy. You really need to buy his product you really need to try her service mm -hmm. so all of those things is part of a brand it's all the the different experiences and transactions that you have with a particular individual mm -hmm. or organization right you know and and you mentioned you know so many things in there that i think are so important so i really want to delve more into it because it is about all of those first and lasting impressions um, you know, it, it was funny. I was in one of the, the big box stores the other day and just about got run over by an employee. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, it's one of those things or, you know, and we've had that happen where we're there and they are walking and they're going to make you get out of their way. You know, now it's not that I'm more important or anything like that, but I also know someone who works for one of those great big, huge big box stores. And she said that all of their employees are taught you step out of the way. The customer mm -hmm. should have the, the right of way, so to speak. I'm putting that in my little air quotes. And, you know, clearly there are times where, yes, we need to move. You know, if they've got something that looks heavy, you know, I'm certainly not going to make someone in a restaurant pause, you know, if they've got a great big tray of food and, and all of those things. But, you know, it, it is... It is something sometimes that people think about, and and I don't know, maybe I think about it more than others, but it does kind of make those impressions. It's, you know, how do you treat your customers when they are in your place of business? 
Absolutely. And that's where the brand and culture are really intertwined. Mm-hmm. What's the image and what's the experience? Right. And and you can't have one without the other. You could have arguably a, a great brand mm-hmm. in terms of, of marketing and uh, the message that gets people through the door. Mm-hmm. But if the culture doesn't support that brand, then you're not only not going to have return customers, but it's going to damage that very brand that you work so hard to create. Mm-hmm. To use to use your example, it was, it was really interesting a number of weeks ago uh, where my wife and I had multiple experiences with different brands, and mm-hmm. it's and it's all it's always been almost always if it's a negative experience, I, I don't use the name of right. the company mm-hmm. as an example because the point isn't to disparage another organization; it's it's to learn from their mistakes so we don't make them. But there was one very very big box store. If I said the name, everybody would know who who the heck they are. And we never, ever patronized the place for no other reason than we usually don't have a need to. Okay. Uh, but uh, my wife, one of my wife's co-workers was getting married and she was registered at this particular store. Mm-hmm. And so the first time possibly ever, and it'll turn out to be the last time given my wife's experience, mm-hmm. she went to shop there to for her co-worker and got to the front with her registry all printed out. Mm-hmm. And after the person had rang up all of the items, she asked, well, is this, have all of these purchases being been taken off the registry? Because mm-hmm. obviously if somebody's purchased them, you don't want somebody else right. to purchase mm-hmm. them. And, and the person got very short with her. Mm-hmm. And said, "Well, I, that's not my job. I don't know if it's come off oh, or not." Oh, I love that. It's not my job. It's like, yeah. Nah. <laughs> well, and, and to make a long story short, um, yeah, she she engaged in conversation <laughs> with this gentleman. I'll use it loosely in, in terms of, well, you know, how how will I know that this has been taken off the registry and that nobody else will buy her these gifts? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, may I suggest that next time you let the cashier know that this is for a registry and you show your paperwork beforehand. Ah, in other <laughs> words, your wife was wrong. Yes. So talk about, you know, talk about having a poor experience mm-hmm. at, at a place that, you know, grant, granted, I won't mention the name on this show or any of my shows, mm-hmm. but personally, when we talk to our friends and we're sitting around at, at, at a dinner table uh, with with family, you know, you're darn right when I mention the name of this company mm-hmm. so that nobody else experiences this. And, and it's it, it could have been handled so much better mm-hmm. in that it could have simply been, you know what, ma'am, I really don't know, mm-hmm. but let me finish your transaction and let me get a manager or let me yeah. send you over here to make sure yeah. it's, it's okay mm-hmm. it's okay to not know but you know you can handle it so much better and it was actually ironically the same day that this united airlines fiasco came out right. and, and yeah i remember seeing that united airlines pr nightmare and literally you know, this is one of the few times i've actually broken my own rule and used the name of of the organization yeah, but in this case it's just so, so obvious 
<laughs> but yeah, I, as I said in one of my shows, it didn't surprise me because I stopped flying United Airlines 25 years ago after a bad experience and said I would never fly them again. But fa- fast forward to something positive, and this all happened in the same week. Mm-hmm. It was a, I think it was a Tuesday, and and I, I didn't sleep well the night before for whatever reason and was having a very, very busy morning and, and finished up with a couple of clients. And every once in a while with, with one particular client, his office is right by a McCormick and Schmicks. Huh. So a lot of times I'll see him. And then I'll grab a quick lunch at the uh-huh. McCormick and Schmicks. And so I've gone, yeah, I'd say maybe a half a dozen times and was always, you know, a fan of it, but never you know, a raving fan per se. Mm-hmm. And on this particular day, I, I had my laptop out. I'm uh, um, working, I'm having my lunch, and I'm really, really dragging. And the server walks by with what looks like a cappuccino. And I, I asked her, I says, is that a cappuccino? And she says, it sure is. I says, I would love one of those. Mm-hmm. And in, in about 90 seconds, she brings over a cappuccino and she, she whispers to me, she says, I put a double shot in there for you. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, oh, thank you. That's exactly what I need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you look, you go back to brand culture strategy. Yeah, they're they're there especially at lunch to to serve the 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 business person, mm-hmm. yeah, and be catering to their needs. They they have a brand that is is upscale. It's not a McDonald's. It's not a Subway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing against those brands, but McCormick and Schmicks is is an upscale dining brand, and and they created a culture. That that supports that brand and strategy. It supported that in that one moment. You know, mm-hmm. she could have just said, "Oh yes, it's a cappuccino," and walked right. away, mm-hmm. or could have even said, "Yeah, it's a cappuccino." You know, okay, I'll get you one, and just given me one. Mm-hmm. But to take that extra step to give me that extra shot, which she didn't have to do, mm-hmm. and frankly, in the grand scheme of things, you know, really doesn't cost McCormick and Schmicks that much. No, but. But did they create a raving fan for McCormick and Schmicks that day? Sure, definitely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, if I'm if I'm traveling and I travel quite often and I'm looking to to get a a quick bite or to relax after a long day, and there's a McCormick and Schmicks nearby, mm-hmm. where do you think I'm going? Right. Oh yeah. You know, and and it's <laughs> funny because you know it it is a combination when we are a consumer. It's not just the product. But it is the service that we receive also. And, you know, even if it's online, you know, I bought something from Amazon, you know, and, and I got to love Amazon Prime. I'm one of those people that, you know, I'm, I'm there like every <laughs> other day. And, you know, kudos to them for doing the thing where you can donate to a nonprofit, you know, so that makes, of course, that makes me want to spend even more. But, you know, I had um, purchased something and it was, you know, delivered on like a Thursday and on Friday, I received an email from the vendor, so not Amazon, but the the vendor that said, did you receive it? What did you think? And we'd love to hear more about it. You know, and, and, you know, and it was a very nicely worded email and, and all of these things. And I thought, okay, I'll be happy to go back to Amazon and provide a review. You know, and, and it was an article of clothing. And so one of the things they said was, did it fit? If not, we will exchange it. 
You know, and mm-hmm. I mean, it was a boilerplate email. You know, you could tell that it you, because it didn't specifically mention the item item of clothes that I bought. But right there, I thought, ooh, I would buy from these folks again. Um, you know, and and mm-hmm. and it, you know, so it, it just goes to show that it doesn't matter if you're only dealing with someone virtually or in person, like you were. At going that little extra mile really does so much. Exactly. And and that's where B plus C plus S really helps to ingrain that in the overall process. Uh, yeah, a lot of times yeah, I'll, I'll speak to a, a solopreneur or a startup or something or somebody along those lines and they'll say, well, I'm just starting up. You know, how could I possibly have a culture like McCormick and Schmicks? Or, you know, I'm a solopreneur. How could I possibly, you know, have a brand like Google? Mm-hmm. And the answer that I give, give them is, well, you can't. But you know what? If, if you have a focus on your brand culture and strategy whether you're an army of one or hundreds you could actually have a unique brand and a unique culture that could be better than right google mm-hmm. because it's uniquely yours right and the the biggest i i give people and and for all of your great listeners if they take nothing else from from my diatribe today with yeah, the, the number one tip I, I tell all businesses well, one thing create service standards. Okay. And I'm sure that Amazon, whether it was a service standard or just part of their process or whatever you want to call it, always sent an email like the one that, that you received. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that. That at McCormick and Schmicks, they have service standards that you, know, you have to give a cappuccino out in maybe so many minutes. Uh, but you know, having having those service standards, you know, number one, it helps the staff member understand exactly how to deliver an experience. Mm-hmm. And, and two, you know, gives them a foundation from which to freelance the right way. I'm sure that in the service standards for McCormick and Schmicks, there wasn't a standard that says give give a person who's tired and spent an extra shot in their cappuccino, but they were given the leeway to do that to, to make my day and my experience much better than it was two minutes before. Right. You know, and, and you mentioned the word give them the leeway, you know, or maybe it's give them the power to. And I think that's so important because we're not saying that you have to tell your employees you must treat them well, you know, and and, or there will be penalties. You know, if you don't step out of the way when they're walking, you'll be fired or, you know, all these various things. It's about providing them with positive features and, you know, positive ways that they're thinking, wow. This is great. I want to do this. And that's all about that culture. So talk to us more about how an employer can really set a culture where the employees are field empowered, you know, without, you know, it's it's not like, you know, that the server gave you, you know, 18 cups of coffee or, you know, anything like that. Mm-hmm. But she was empowered to go that little extra distance. And, you know, sometimes it is that somebody's empowered to, you know, offer somebody an upgrade in a seat, you know, back to the, the United Airlines um, or, 
you know, offered to, to give them, you know, hey, we're going to give you X number of dollars to, you know, to, to step off the plane. You know, um, you had a bad night at our hotel. Oh, my goodness. Here's some vouchers to our, our restaurant. You know, all of those various things. So how does a business owner go about creating that culture where employees feel like they can take those steps without having to, I have to go ask my manager, you know, or, you know, and, and more importantly, how they, they want to make the customers happy. It's not just, this is my job and I'm going to do, you know, the minimum amount I have to type of, of work. Awesome question, Deb. Yeah, there's, there's a few steps that I suggest. One in particular, going back to standards, is getting the frontline staff involved mm-hmm. in creating those standards. And, and I shouldn't, I should actually back up and not saying just frontline staff, but your entire staff, right. because if, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're an IT or accounting, you have customers, they happen to be the other employees of the organization. If you're not serving a customer, you're serving somebody that is. Uh, so the, the clients that I've had that have done the best work have taken the service standard exercise and started from the whether you want to call it the bottom of the org chart or the top of the org chart, the people that do the real work and, and, and ask them for the feedback to create the specific standards, whether it's we will greet the customer as he walks through the door or we will return all calls within three hours or we will resolve all problems within 48 hours, whatever it may be, because the not only do the employees that are doing the work number one understand exactly what they can and can't do mm-hmm. i mean maybe maybe we truly can't get back to people in three hours well then let's not write it down that way let's right. say we will return all calls and emails within 24 hours we can do that right okay so, so now it's a rule uh and then the other thing that it does is it creates instant buy-in Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, now now whether I'm a cashier or a server or a bank teller or a customer service rep at an airline or whatever it may be, now I'm part of the process and I, and it's not just one more thing that's being pushed down mm-hmm. from the top down to us that we have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part that that you mentioned in terms of you know how do we give employees the leeway? Well, yeah, we actually give them parameters right uh number one if the standards were created by them there's already Mm buy-in and then you could say well you know within within this particular structure yeah you have the leeway to to reverse a fee or to give them something extra because yeah i would i would rather you as the customer service specialist you know spend you know 50 or 100 dollars yeah that makes the customer happy than either have to come to a manager which Mm -hmm. is going to decrease productivity or allow a problem to be created that could be a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars case in point well we'll say something positive about airlines Mm -hmm. uh the the airline that uh that i frequently fly uh and i've had uh, a number of good experiences is delta 
Right. Uh, I do like Southwest as well, but mm-hmm. but I I found that that Delta seats are a little bit more comfortable when comfort. I fly to Delta mm-hmm. Comfort. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and one time I, I did have a bad experience where where I upgraded to Delta Comfort. I paid the extra sixty five or seventy dollars or whatever it is. And part of the whole Delta Comfort deal is if you get Delta Comfort, you're supposed to be part of Group One. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be right. one of those folks that get on the plane a little bit earlier, which I like to put in my overhead and get comfy and all that other fun stuff. Well, on this particular day, they had announced first class and medallion members and all those other folks. And then the person that was boarding, allowing for people to board the plane made the mistake of, of announcing group two. Right. Before even oh, no, saying group, group one. one. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. She skipped, she skipped my group. So, you know, being the Chicago guy, I said, hey, you know, what about group one? It's mm-hmm. <laughs> said, like, oh, I, I'm sorry, group groups one and two. Well, now you know, group two had already rushed up to the front, right. and now I'm standing so in a like longer line a than I should have. Yeah, exactly. So I called Delta on it and, and said, this is what happened. And my expectation was, you know, maybe they would throw me a few points. Right. Uh, yeah, I didn't expect a refund. I still got the seat that I had paid for. And, and the person on the other end of the line at Delta was obviously empowered. Mm-hmm. You know, to do to do a, a certain things, and she says, "Wow, you know that's terrible. You're you're exactly right. You should have been able to get on the plane sooner. So not only are we going to refund your upgrade fee that you mm-hmm. paid to be on Delta Comfort, we're also going to give you 500 points." Wow. Yeah, exactly, and that made me a raving fan of Delta. I got more than I expected. Uh, but yeah, you know, so so to get back to to your question, one. If you really want to empower employees, have them start the creation of the service standards. You always, as the owner or CEO or executive, can wordsmith it or, or make the final decision as, as to what's on the paper for standards. Mm-hmm. You know, two, empower them by letting them know, giving, giving them some parameters. Within this circle, you can do whatever you want. Uh, and, and that creates, that gives them the opportunity to use standards as kind of the foundation to create an experience that does align with the brand culture and strategy of the organization. Right. Well, and it's important, as you mentioned, that you've had them involved in that process because the, what you want to ask them is what do you think people would want? You know, what would they find valuable? I mean, you know, you don't want to say, you know, tell people they can have a thousand more points if they don't care about getting points, you know, and, and sure. because then they're like, yeah, whatever, um, you know, and, and so the, those frontline people are the ones who are going to say, hey, you know, if, if we can do this, it's going to make them happy. You know, and, and, and then again, you develop the parameters. So, you know, maybe it is, say, a, a restaurant where you tell them, okay, you can have up to a $10 leeway of whatever it is. So that might mean they give a free dessert or, you know, a, you know they, they go, do an extra shot of, of espresso, you know, all of those various things. And, you know, it, it, 10 bucks here and there, it's not really going to cost a lot. Now, obviously, you know, you don't want them offering that to every single person. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, look and see what's going on. Are they, you know, do they look like they need that? Did they mention it's their birthday or their anniversary or, you know, all of those various things. And, you know, but because you talked with your staff, you will know what the customer is really going to value. 
Exactly. Exactly. And it also creates, going back to, to my tagline, which is creating an environment where employees actually want to come to work and customers want to keep coming back. You can't have the latter without the former in most right. cases. Mm -hmm. If you're treating your employees, and, it, and employees don't always want, you know, pizza parties and cookies and, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> Of course, you know, everybody wants to make a living, and, and mm -hmm. money is important, but they want to be treated with respect. Right. And if, if you're having them be a, a very critical part of creating standards, you know, that's the ultimate respect. Because this is, this is one of, in my book, I talk about service standards as being one of the key organizational drivers of any business. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're going to trust your staff to take the first stab at creating them, and and truly building something special for the organization, that's the ultimate in respect. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and sometimes employees, you know, it's it's the little things that really do make a difference. Um, I'm thinking back to, to one um, where I was working with this organization and they had different locations throughout the United States. And, and one of them said, oh, my gosh, my dog died, you know, a couple of days ago. And I got a card, a physical card, a sympathy card from the owner of the company. You know, mm -hmm. and, and I'm sure that, you know, or, no, I shouldn't say I'm sure. I'm kind of assuming that the owner wasn't the one who noticed the, the you know, the post on Facebook, you know, that, that the dog had died. You know, it might have been somebody else. But, you know, it, he signed it, you know, all those various things. And that meant so much to that employee, you know, because, of course, what she was doing was telling everybody about it. You know, we work for mm -hmm. a fabulous company. And, you know, and it took 30 seconds. I mean, this is this was not a big deal. You know, and, and it cost what, you know, a buck, um, you know, but it really did make such an impression on that person. So, yeah, sometimes those little things really do make a difference. Absolutely, Deb. Uh, one of the things that I yell from the mountaintop, whether people want to hear it or not, uh, is is that your first customer is your employee. Right. And it's I, I work with a lot of financial institutions and restaurants and salons mm -hmm. and all that, but mm -hmm. but a number of financial institutions, and I had the the pleasure of doing uh, a webinar uh, on social media and branding for a number of credit union executives mm -hmm. and and they asked well how how can we get our employees to be better brand ambassadors on social right. media? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, how 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 can we get them to to really you know talk up the credit union in the community? Mm -hmm. And and I said, you know what? That's not a social media question because no. social media, in the overall scheme of things, is is of one course. very mm -hmm. very small piece of the iceberg. What you what that question is is a culture question, which mm -hmm. is why wouldn't your employees employees naturally want to do right. that? Mm -hmm. Without without any cajoling, without any begging, you know, please post on Facebook how much you love mm -hmm. the work here. <laughs> if, if you have to do that, then you have to ask yourself the question of what type of culture have we created where people aren't naturally doing that? I'm right. sure in your example, yeah, that, that individual talked to, to high heaven on Facebook and and. Twitter and everything else about what a great place she works for that the CEO would send a card about, you know, her dog passing away. Mm -hmm. Great. 
You know, and, and you're, you, it, that is so true that if our employees wouldn't talk about it on their own, you know, it, then, then there really is a problem. And, and you know, by the same principle, if our employees wouldn't tell their friends and their family, hey, you need to shop here, eat here, buy from here, you know, whatever, then, then you do have a problem. You know, and, and, you know, and it's, it's interesting because we don't see that, you know, we don't see people say, you know, I work here, think about coming here for lunch. You know, it's, and when we do hear it, it's the exception. You know, one of the the ones that I'm thinking about is, is a company based here in Atlanta and it's that little company called Mm Chick-fil-A and, you know, it's, it's always cute. You know, we always go through the drive-through and, and they always say, it's my pleasure to serve you. And when they don't, I notice, I'm like, oh, wait, oh, oh, it wasn't her pleasure. (laughs) Um, But I know people who have worked there and they go there to eat. You know, whether it's their their local place or, you know, when they're they're you know traveling somewhere, all of those things. And, you know, so first of all, you're thinking, OK, well, clearly they like the food, you know, or they wouldn't eat there. But it is kind of about that whole brand ambassadorship, because if somebody says, hey, you know, I'm going to go eat there. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Don't you work there? Well, yeah, it's good food and good people. Um, you know, then you're thinking, oh, OK, well, maybe I should go there. Mm hmm. Mm, yeah, exactly. You know, it's if if you're going to make brand ambassadors out of your employees, they they're actually going to want to have pride in working there. Um, two examples, not to yeah, I, I literally am not trying to bash United Airlines for the yeah. sake of doing it, but it's just it's just simply oh, such dear, a they, perfect example. They just keep opening themselves up for it. Oh. Oh. God damn, we we, we can we can have like five shows on this alone, but but you know I mean I know that if you're a United Airlines employee, you're not proud of saying I work for United Airlines, right. you know, especially after that. Mm-hmm. But you know, as case in point, you know, going 180 degrees different. My sister-in-law has worked for Home Depot for years and years and years, and she was unfortunately in the hospital recently, and my wife and I went to visit her, and while we were sitting there, and she was lying in the bed, she said to my wife, do you want to see a video that we did at Home Depot? And she pulled it up on her Facebook, and it was both her and a number of her staff talking about how much they loved working for Home Depot. About about how you know is there was one particular employee on that video that you know came from kind of a gang infested lifestyle and and straightened his life around and said you know I've got a purpose I work for Home Depot they they give me a great job with great mm-hmm. benefits so I can raise my family and I could have a better life my kids can have a better life because of Home Depot than I ever had right. and yeah. You know, no, nobody, nobody from Home Depot said you need to do a video. Yeah, they right. did this on their own. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, and it showed, you know, because if corporate had gotten involved, it would have been scripted, and it would have been this, and they would have had lights, and it would have been that, and you would have lost the spontaneity. You know, and it's that whole spontaneity that really does make it so worthwhile. And whether that's asking your employees, hey, can you give a quick testimonial? Or, you know, asking, you know, a customer, hey, you know, would you mind doing a quick little video for us? You know, the second you start to overthink it and make sure that the message is correct, then it, it does. It loses that. 
Yeah, you're 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 exactly like right, Deb. Yeah, the yeah sometimes you know these messages that are impromptu from employees that actually do look forward to going to work uh, are, are are the best advertising that, that you could ever do uh, because there are so many people these days that that just don't enjoy working where they work. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and 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 it really doesn't take much to do some of those things, you know, and, and to incentivize them, you know, you might need to incentivize them, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I used to work for a big financial company, one of the, the biggest ones in the world. And we were asked to do, you know, qu- quick, short little videos. And it, there was a contest, you know, and, and the winner of the contest would win. I did not remember what that was the only incentive and, and basically the only guidelines. So, you know, and, and it was, tell us why you want to work here or, or not why you want to work here. Tell us why you like working here. And, you know, and, and the incentive really wasn't that much. I think it was, you know, might've been a pizza party or something like that, Mm -hmm. but then, then they, they let it go. I mean, there wasn't, you have to say this, or you have to do that, you know, all these various things. And people had so much fun with that because then of course it, it got to be even bigger. You know, it would be department against department and, you know, all these various things. And, and it truly was fun. And we got some absolute, you know, I was, it was in, I was you know, one of the people in corporate communications and I, you know, we, we received videos that were absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, you know, that's, that's where strategy comes in too, right. Deb is, and, and that's why yeah, I, I'm certainly rarely the, the brightest person in the room. And there's like the old saying goes, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably yeah, in the wrong in the room. Wrong room. But yeah, the, the way that, that I came up with brand culture strategy is to help my mind compartmentalize all this. And as I did that, I, I really began to understand how brand culture strategy aren't separate. They're very, very intertwined. Right. So you know, to have the strategy to get your employees involved, to, to actually at the, at the highest level at that strategic planning meeting or the board meeting to say, yeah, how, how can we create an environment where employees might want to get involved in a great story it was actually i mentioned credit unions uh i have the the pleasure of working with a, a credit union in cincinnati that that does have a great culture and, and does have a great strategy but their branding yeah, needed a little bit of work mm-hmm. and the one thing that we worked on which did work with their brand is i said well let's create in our strategy how we're going to leverage that culture in our brand yeah mm-hmm. how are we going to create opportunities for your employees who obviously already love working for your credit union to be able to be on Facebook, to maybe create a video, to to be able to have some fun with your members that are, are, are walking through the door. And, and when you do those things, not only is there a, a genuineness to the brand, but also it's not that expensive. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it may cost it may cost you know, thousands of dollars to have an ad in, in a local magazine in Cincinnati, uh, but creating a Cincinnati Reds Day for all of your employees and, and getting your members involved through that, you know, that you know, costs maybe some time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and, and it's funny because it is something that 
you know, sometimes as a business owner, we skip or the manager or something like that. You know, and, and as you were talking about that, one of the things I thought of is you also have to ask your employees what they think the brand is, because, yep. you know, you might think that you are the, the you know, the, the provider of the best seafood restaurant around. And that's not at all what they think you are. And and so that's not what they're telling the customers, what they're telling their friends and family. So you know, you have to find out what do they think your brand is. You're absolutely correct. In fact, one of one of my recurring mantras with just about all of my clients is yeah, you know, I, I really don't give you anything, but what I'm an expert at is bringing out what you already have right. and, and, and allowing you to pick what's best for your mm-hmm. brand. And, and one of the ways that I've done that in the past, which has been, <clears throat> excuse me, which, which has been a, a godsend sometimes is we do an exercise called brand personality. Mm-hmm. And I break people up into groups and I ask them, if this business were an actual person, what would he or she be? Oh. Who, what would what would he or she be like? And it's very similar to what a lot of advertising firms will will do in terms of brand campaigns for for large clients. Right. Uh, but I ask them physically, what would they look like? What would they wear? How would they dress? How tall or short would they be? And then I also go into what are some of the personality attributes that this person you're creating would have? Are they crabby? Are they are they jovial? Are they really smart are they arrogant yeah it's all fair game mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing when i do that exercise yeah people usually really really have a lot of fun with it especially if the culture is is at least decent <laughs> if, if the culture if the culture is good or great the two things that i usually see is the the people doing the exercise have so much fun with it and and even broken out into different groups, the pictures that they draw uh, are are very very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that it, it helps people understand that you know what we we really do understand what the brand is here mm-hmm. in this business. We just never had the the tool to really figure it out. Um, and then, and then also on the, on the other side of the coin, if it's a negative culture, yeah, sometimes some of those things that you don't want to hear, but need to hear come out in that exercise. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the other thing that I usually find is, is the pictures are very, very different from each other, which okay. means, all right, we're, we're, we're not on the same page, but right. uh-huh. <laughs> we can find a way to work with this. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, and, and that's interesting because, you know, the, the pictures might be different from each other depending on the function. You know, uh, if it's customer service people as opposed to frontline people, you know, all of those various things, you know, but you're right. It should be that they're all pretty much the same type of person. Um, so that's where you get a disconnect when they're not. Exactly, exactly. And and actually, whether somebody works in IT or in customer service or is even on the executive level, when, when there is a modicum of alignment among the brand, culture, and strategy in a business, those pictures usually look uh, pretty close together. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it, it's it's when they don't that I start getting uh, a little a little bit apprehensive right. about the next step. Not that mm-hmm. I won't do it, but it's like, all right, we we need to go a little bit deeper here mm-hmm. uh, because we, we we're obviously not in in alignment here. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and and of course, one of the the most important parts of this is that the employees need to feel that they can be honest and truthful. Um, you know, and without fear of repercussions, you know, and, and I think that is one of the, the things obviously that plays into culture. Do your employees even feel like they can say, you know what, we've got a problem here or are they like, no, no problem, no problem. Keep head down. Don't want to be seen by, you know, and, um, you know, and, and I think that's where it, it is probably one of the biggest challenges is do your employees know that if they say, wait a minute. You know, we've got an issue, we've got a problem, we've got a question. Do they feel like they can voice it and have it be heard? And, you know, or are they going to, you know, have repercussions? Um, Now, you know, obviously there's sometimes you've got the people who are the constant complainers, you know, all those various things. But we're talking about the, you know, the, the average employee. Do they feel that they can say, hey, Ken, you know, do you know that every fourth person we talk to is complaining about our product? You know, you know, or do they do they think, you know, oh, my God, you're going to fire me if I say that. Exactly. Well, again, it it speaks to the intertwined nature of brand culture and strategy. Mm -hmm. You need to have a strategy that allows people in your culture to be able to report when there are things that are negative to the brand or are possibly negative to the culture. And it, granted, there, there are unfortunately some negative cultures out there that are started at the top where, where people uh, are not, not only not encouraged to, to come to managers, but there, there are obvious repercussions. And I right. think those are few and far between. Uh, what I see a lot of is businesses that, and organizations that truly have the capacity to have something special in their culture, but just have not for whatever reason. And usually that reason is that everybody's spent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not that they don't have the skills or the desire to mentor and create that type of communication. It's just that everybody is so spent. <laughs> you know, we, right. I, I truly believe that the, the biggest casualty of the Great Recession that we don't talk at all about, if not enough, is, is the, the death of mentorship. Yeah, when mm-hmm. when when I was in my early twenties and and I was both arrogant and ignorant, I call it ignorant. <laughs> you know, oh, no. I was like twenty four, <laughs> twenty five. You know, mm-hmm. fortunately, you know, I I had I had mentors there to teach me the right way. You know, mm-hmm. I was part of a three person department where yeah, you know, I had a good manager that that did see the importance of communication and feedback and, and mentoring. You know, now you have some organizations where you know, people, managers, even the best managers, are managing 12 people, 16 mm-hmm. people, 17 right. people. And, you know, how, and how can you really you know, constantly and continually create an environment of free-flowing communication when you jump into meetings here and there and you, and you don't even have the time, much less the energy, to to do that type of mentoring. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and mentoring is so important. Um, you know, I know one of the things that you focus on is mentoring millennials. And I think that's so important because, you know, 
in in many ways we we as in you know the older generation we think you know <laughs> they think they're entitled that they don't have to take responsibility you know and and there's been so many negative perceptions about millennials that I, I love the fact that you really try and mentor with millennials. So tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I think that the millennial generation has an opportunity to to really do some special things. I think that 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 generation in and of itself will will create some tremendous entrepreneurs that better than we've ever seen before, just because of some of the skills that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I think the 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 thing that I'm most proud of doing is is helping. The baby boomers and the millennials, you understand you know, where where their connections really are. Right. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, also and they're un- really more connected than not. They really are. And, and to understand the why behind some of whether you want to call it friction or differences, you know, I, I just made it into the Gen X generation. You know, if I was born a couple of years earlier, I would have been a baby boomer. But I always mm-hmm. joke us Gen Xers. Yeah, you know, we're just trying to make it to retirement. We're trying right. to figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I think that there are two um, exacerbating factors to what is naturally uh, a, a somewhat of a of a friction created relationship between people in their twenties and people in their fifties. Uh, I think that one of the issues I already talked about, which is you know what's happened since the Great Recession and and the fact that we don't have the capacity to mentor like we used to, mm-hmm. but but the second one. Is is people forget that the baby boomers were, were really ingrained into the industrial age, right? And 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 now we have millennials that grew up and completely understand the knowledge worker information age. Mm-hmm. So you have you have two groups that whose foundation of how we should approach maybe business or process or, or what have you that grew up in two completely different ages, arguably. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think that some of the friction we see now is much different from when we went from the agricultural age to the industrial age. I'm sure that there were some 50-year-olds saying, you know, hey, kid, you know, get away from that machine. You know, you really need to start planting some seeds here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So I, I, I think that actually it, it, when I do my uh, navigating through generational generalities session, yeah, I do this this very funny tongue-in-cheek where we, we talk about you know, a, a challenge. Oh, it, was, it used to be so great you know, 20 years ago. And I show them a Walkman. I show them uh, Encyclopedia Britannica right. and a big map. And I, said, and I say, yeah, was this really better? Was it really better to have a map that covered your entire windshield so you couldn't see uh-huh. <laughs> instead of and having you were a nav just system? Trying to figure out where the next left turn was. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you can't text while you're driving, but you know, having a, a map that's as big as is your vehicle that was okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, and and so many of the things are complementary. You know, and and it's not just that the the Gen X and the baby boomers are teaching millennials. It's that millennials are also teaching us, um, you know, and, and so it's, it's one of those definite give and takes because, you know, if, you know, like you said, they grew up using those technologies. 
Um, you know, and, and, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day that they, and, you know, it, it is somebody who is older than I am even. Um, and I said, you know, we'll, we'll put it into your GPS. And they didn't know mm-hmm. what GPS meant. And it was like, okay, you're not that much older. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, all of these things and, and, and it does, you know, when you're dealing with customers, you know, it, it does affect things because, you know, back to what we were talking about at the start, you know, what, what might mean something to one person is going to be totally different value to somebody else. And so when you build those teams of people to say, okay, now say your customer is in their twenties, what's going to matter to them as opposed to somebody who's in their fifties and sixties, you know, the, the 20 something is going to love getting, you know, our example of the, the free airline miles, you know, the, the 50, 60 year old wants that money back. You know? mm-hmm. And so, you know, putting all of that together is what's really going to make your business successful. Exactly. Exactly. Going back to brand culture and strategy alignment, you know, when we're, when we're talking about the, the differences in the generations, one of the points that I, I make sure that I make is that from, from a branding standpoint and a strategy building standpoint, yes, you know, maybe we need some of those generalities. You know, we, if we're going to speak in to a mass audience, whether it's through marketing in our advertising to a specific specific age group, uh, mm-hmm. or if it's an internal strategy of creating a uh, a mentoring program for all of our employees between twenty and thirty, yeah, we probably do need to speak about the generalities. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to culture building, and not just culture building in terms of employees, but as you said, in, in working with your customers, clients, or members, yeah, that's really one-on-one. And to use those generalities to try and put somebody in a box, it really doesn't help you to where you want to go. Uh, I give examples all the time of one particular millennial entrepreneur that is is awesome, started two businesses, and hates Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that so that's that's not part of what you would think of as the generality but i i bring that up because we can't assume that all right well this person is 29 years old so therefore yeah he's only on his phone he only wants to do things for himself yada 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 i can give where that doesn't apply one-on-one right you know and and it comes back to what we were saying you have to ask your team about this you know, so you might be the business owner or the manager who is in their, you know, 40s and 50s, but all of your employees are in their 20s, and maybe your customers are kind of a, a mix. So when you start really building that dynamic, that's where you're going to best serve both your employees and your customers. Exactly. Exactly. Sounds like brand culture strategy, Deb. I know. Wow. How did we get to that? <laughs> I wonder how. I wonder. Well, you know, tell folks just a little bit more about your company and the services that you provide. Sure, sure. Well, Beta Training and Consulting it helps businesses create environments where employees actually want to come to work and customers want to keep coming back. So what I do is I actually use my B plus E plus S formula 
to, to get everything aligned. And generally what I'll do on the big picture is I'll find where the biggest problem is. If we need to work on branding, we'll work on that. If we have a great brand and culture and we need a strategy, we'll, we'll work on that. Um, so from a consulting standpoint, yeah, I, I bring everything to bear. Uh, but also one of the things that, that I've started to offer earlier this year that's beginning to get popular because not everybody wants to bring on a consultant for this big, big engagement. Uh, what, what I do is a B plus C plus S audit for businesses. Oh, okay. uh, and some businesses may uh, be somewhat familiar with it because there are some firms out there that will do a branding audit. But I'll go a little bit deeper. I'll go into your brand. I'll go into your culture, and I'll go into your strategy. Let's look at goals. Let's look at at some of the responses that, that your employees say. Let's look at some of your brand elements, and let's go and do a entire audit and see exactly where the gaps are in that alignment. Uh, and I found that to be really valuable because it either one lays a great foundation for the work that I have the pleasure to do for a client, or in some cases, you know, they, they have the audit and they take it and they're able to implement that and make some of the changes themselves. Either way, they, they get something that is, is very valuable for their business. Right. You know, one of the things that I was thinking of is, as we were talking through all of this is we keep talking about the owner and employees and things like that. And we, you know, there are so many businesses that are the one-person shops. And all of this still applies, folks. You still have to have a good brand. You have to know what your culture is. You know, and then obviously what your strategy is. And you know, sure, you might not have employees to ask, you know, to, to get all the answers that we've been talking about, but ask your customers. You know, what do they think your brand is and your culture is? Um, you know, I'm I'm remembering that I was uh, contacting a, a business coach who, you know, initially she what she told me, I'm thinking, ooh. I need to do this. I've never really had a business coach, but I thought, okay, I'm going to bite the bullet. Her price tag was not inexpensive, um, you know, and, and it was going to be a six-month commitment and all of these things. And so I sent her an email back and I said, I do just have a couple more questions, but I'm pretty close to being in. Crickets. I never heard from her again. Wow. You know, and, and it was like, really? You know, so your culture is that you don't follow up. And And then, of course, my next thought was, no matter when she follows up, you know, maybe I see her again at a networking thing or she actually responds to my email, which was, you know, now a month old at least, you know, I, there's no way I will work with her <laughs> because her customer service was just absolutely atrocious. Um, you know, and, and should I have tried to contact her again? Well, maybe. I mean, you know, if, if I cared that much about it, I probably would have. But, you know, so, yeah, it doesn't matter if you have five employees, 500, 5,000 or if it's you in your guest bedroom, you still have to have that brand, that culture, and that strategy to truly be successful. You're, you're absolutely correct, Deb. In fact, if you're a solopreneur or, or maybe two or three employees, you know, when people ask me, well, you know, are, am I really ready for this? And I said, well, yes, you are, because do you really want to wait until you're 10 or 15 employees to do this when you could have the foundation laid? <laughs> when you do go to four employees or five employees where you can actually give them something and examples that are tangible and say, this is how we do business here. Right. And on that note, 
Holy cow, Ken. We are at the top of the hour. Um, you know, and, and this really has been great. And there were several things that we didn't even get to. So we just have to do this again. That would be awesome, Deb. I would love to. Great, great. Well, I am Deb Creer. I've been having a wonderful time talking with Ken Bader of Bader Training and Consulting. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.